This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. To get back on point, we've covered quite a bit of it. When you're setting up for these hunts, depending on this, that, and the other thing, what are you doing as far as bow hunt, rifle hunt, ammunition are you just taking just one quiver full are you taking what because there's there's a lot of weight in the ammo for these things archery wise i take my one quiver full i'll carry a pack of six arrow quiver that's what i kick in no matter where from backcountry mountain goat hunt to antelope alongside the truck i carry you get six, six tries and you're done yeah if it takes me six tries i'm gonna go back to the truck crying i'm pretty much done a lot of times i will carry extra arrows in the truck but i may be miles from the truck at, the, at any one point, but I've never yet run into a situation where I've emptied my quiver and not put an animal down, but it could be done. I've seen it done. I just haven't accomplished it yet. And I'm actually the same way. I run a, one is a grouse arrow. So I actually only have four broadheads. I run a five arrow quiver anymore. And by the time we get to that third arrow, it, it better be done. Now, knock on wood, I haven't got into the fourth one yet. I do sometimes pack an extra broadhead so I could change out that grouse arrow. Because I'm tired of wasting broadheads on grouse. Yeah. And I'll tell you, anytime that we see a grouse when it's seasoned on pause, it's time to put a grouse in the pot for dinner. So that's I'm glad we're on, on point there. As far as you and I don't do a whole lot of rifle hunting, but when you are going to go on a rifle hunt, say elk hunt or mule deer hunt, you didn't fill your tags and you're going, or you drew something that you're going to go rifle hunt for, how much ammo are you going to plan on packing for your rifle? I normally carry 10 rounds. That's what I put usually four in my gun, and then I can put another six in my pocket. If I was going on a multi-day hunt, I may pack a few more, but have you ever really i've never needed more than that usually what's in my gun is the four in the gun is more than sufficient there's been a few times i've used a few backup rounds trying to finish something off but it's most of the time it's the four rounds in the guns all i've ever needed dan i'm similar once that first arrow flies or that first bullet flies it's it's a little bit chaos for a moment and if that first one didn't go where it's supposed to it doesn't get better with the second and the third have archery i've made a a marginal first shot and a second great shot right it has happened and same with the rifle but typically we're trying to make sure that first shot counts and then the, the extras are just tertiary right so as far as getting into calls obviously deer you're not packing much antelope you're not packing anything but elk, what are you? What's your go-to stuff to have in your backpack and on your person? I carry an open reed cow call, a bugle tube. Depend. I have multiple brands. I have a whole closet full of them because I'm addicted to elk calls. So I don't even. I'm not even brand specific most of the time. And I usually have about eight or nine diaphragms with me at any time. Mouth diaphragms and all different tension stretches. So. I can reach from more lower growly bugles to higher, get up to the more higher pitch sounds by the different calls that are there. And most of the time I carry two of each because in a good day, a lot of days I'll wear out an, a reed in one day, just calling enough to wear out one reed. I pack four to six for, and I have a few more in the truck and I'll, same thing. I have a couple tensions and I'll wear out one every two or three days. I just, I wear out. 
They just do. Yeah, you stretch the, the latex in them, they, they get stretched out. And what are we supposed to do with these things once they are stretched out? Because I'm always tossing them in the fire. Yeah, I get rid of them. They're not, they're no good, no use to me. I just throw them away when they're done, when I'm done with them, but, or let my grandkids use them. Okay. I just wanted to cover some of that, the call stuff specifically. We've gone through optics, obviously shelter. Each one of these items, guys, is going to be specific to your hunt, right? There isn't a hundred percent do all. I'm now for the most part, I'm taking the same binos and the same bino harness, right? If I'm going right. to pack a sidearm, I'm taking the same sidearm elk, deer, antelope, mule deer. I'm using the same broadhead for elk, deer, antelope. A lot of this gear transition, I don't have to buy a whole bunch of different gear, but I definitely retool or rekit and go from a 18, 22 pound day pack up to a, I think the other day I was at 52 pounds with four days of food, right? But I had the heavy spotter. I had the tripod. I had the sleeping pad, the Hilleberg, it's got a big enough vestibule that you and I could put our packs and bows in the vestibule and sleep in there, but it's still shoulder to shoulder tight. And it's, I don't mind if it's nice weather, I'll hang my pack on a tree or something like that. If like when we were mountain goat hunting, there was not really any place to hang stuff. So it's got to come in with you to stay out of the weather. And even August in Wyoming hunting mountain goats, you're going to weather some thunderstorms. They just collide over the top of those big ridges and you're in the wide open. There's nothing to hide from them in. Yeah, I can. Just last week I was on a solo couple day elk trip over in Wyoming and in one of the mountain ranges and every evening you could see it build and hear it coming and I actually it was about two three in the afternoon I went and hid in the tent for 45 minutes because it was torrential downpour and I'm I was out I was back at camp about noon and elk had shut up about nine o'clock so I was just waiting for them to start up in the early afternoon so those afternoon naps elk hunting are amazing I think that's half the reason I go anymore but I will say that to be able to throw the backpack and bow in the vestibule, crawl in the tent, and just wait it out when it's sheets of rain coming down. Yeah. It's worth it for sure. And if you were trying to bivy sack it, and that's what I found. I still have a XBG Cabela's bivy sack. And there for a while I had the sleeping bag and pad inside that. So you still really have to set up a tarp unless you want Unless it's really good weather. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just, if it's bluebird sky and you're just going to sleep on the ground, it, they're okay. If you're in mosquito country, you're still going to have mosquitoes all over your face. I just, guys can scream at me all you want if you love your bivy sack. I've had one and I'm just, I'm not a big fan. By no means. I don't think there's any more true security in a tent than a bivy sack. There's just a little more protection from sideways rain and from wind. You get a little more space between your bag, between you and the weather. Yeah, I agree. And when you get up and it's drizzling and you got to get dressed, when you sit up in a bivy bag... It's raining and you got to get dressed in the rain. It's a little demoralizing when you're in your tent and you can open the, I open the door and cook in the vestibule and can start getting dressed and I can have my rain gear on before I even step out. It's, it makes a little different atmosphere when you can get dressed quote unquote indoors before you go outdoors. So definitely your, but when we start adding all these things up weight wise, your kit can really start getting, your backpack gets heavy and yeah, for sure. One thing we didn't talk about that I really like that Bow Spider's selling is our pack covers, our waterproof backpack covers. They are multi-use, really nice. Uh, we have two sizes, but what I've found is if you put that receiver on top of your backpack and then put our ultralightweight backpack covers over, you can still put the post through the material into your receiver. So you can have your backpack waterproofed. If you're running our bow slicker, you can have your bow waterproofed and still have quick access when you're hiking around in the rain. And that's that actually is pretty handy. 
it is pretty handy if you're getting into bad weather. So definitely a waterproof backpack cover. If you've got, if, if I have my rain jacket and my backpack cover, I'll hunt in some pretty nasty weather before I even put my rain pants on. Right. But I'm, I am running gaiters, right? So if the brush is wet, most of the time my legs are still staying pretty dry. Now it's got to be pretty nasty for me to go, all right, it's time to put the rain pants on. Just because I've got the pit zips on the raincoat. So if I'm hunting with the rain jacket on, I can open those pit zips up and I'm still getting rid of a lot of that moisture humidity. Once I put the rain pants on it, it feels a little more locks in claustrophobic. I, I build a lot more heat and sweat and I can't move as fast as far. So certainly that's some of the things I do, you do. It's great that we covered some of the same stuff. Food wise is one of the big things, food prep, food. What are you doing on a multi-day hunt versus a day hunt? Day hunts, I grow mainly with granola bars and sometimes tortillas, peanut butter, a few things like that. I don't carry a lot of heavy food with me. Pound of food, yeah, maybe. Pound, pound of food, half. maybe, yeah. A few granola bars, protein bars, stuff like that. Multi-day hunts, I'm usually running granola bars for breakfast, something the same, similar to that lunchtime, and then dehydrated dinners for whatever brand you prefer for the dehydrated meals or freeze-dried meals for dinner. I've eaten quite a few of them. There's a bunch out there, and I'll ramble through a few of them. There's backpackers pantry there's mountain house there's heather's kitchen peak refuels one that just come on the scene here a couple years ago and i really i've been eating a lot of those and that the flavor is amazing now pretty much they're all similar the ingredients and the sodium level in peak is a little different i like the peak refuel i found all their stuff to be pretty pretty flavorful and in a long three or four to five days of hunting Having a meal that tastes decent in the evening really is nice. That you're looking forward to, for sure. We've covered this on the podcast before, but one of the hacks that I have found is there is Biltong, air-dried beef. Right. Apex just came on the scene. There was one called Boykies, but uh, Apex is now out there. And I will take a bag of that and put it on top of the Mountain House scrambled eggs. And if I'm on a 7 to 10 day, I'm taking Mountain House scrambled eggs for in the morning, and then I do similar stuff trail mix, jerkies, snacks, candy bars, protein bars for lunch, sometimes oatmeal, not very often. And then dinner, I like to do a freeze-dried meal, but I love adding instant Idaho potatoes. And sometimes I'll take a stick of butter. I don't go ahead and pre-cut that butter up. I just put the butter in its own little Ziploc bag, but I'll cut about a sixth or an eighth of that uh, butter off and put it right on top of those mashed potatoes on top of one of the meals I really like is the elk mashers from Peak Refuel, the Chaz Mendez one. It's it's food can be, we could argue about that for a while, but you really do want to try and hit at least 150 calories, if not 200 calories an ounce, right? So you're looking for very high dense caloric food you're not packing carrots around no i usually stay with either the freeze-dried meals and then protein bars for the most part because you get a lot more bang for your buck out of them and then i usually carry some nuts and a few things like that and maybe some gummy bears just for a good flavor no it depends depends (laughs) but every once in a while it's nice to grab a handful of something sweet while you're working setting around certainly the thing i did forget this last time is i have two titanium spoons and just in the mayhem of packing in the in the dark hours for a couple day hunt i was like man i'm not taking two spoons i took two to alaska Uh, we were base camp hunting out of cabins in a boat right so i have a short spoon and a long spoon and somehow 
I took both out at different times. I'm like, I threw them both out. So first night in there, I'm all excited, cooking my food, and I'm digging through my stuff, looking for my spoon, and I'm like, and then I finally remembered, oh, yeah, last minute I threw that little accessory kit out that had my spoon in it, and it had my extra my secondary communication with the POB, I already had the inReach and I wear the inReach on me. And a lot of times I'll, two is one, one is none. So I do like to pack that, especially like base camp stuff. I like to have that other one around. Just the inReach could, the battery could die. This one is purely you pop the top and pull the antenna and push the button. There's no texting. There's no turning it on or off. It's just sends out a signal, right? So I have a little more faith that when I go to grab that one to use it, it's going to work, but it's twice the weight. So if I can leave it, I'm leaving it. Right. right. And I am that guy that I'm going through. I'm cutting the handle off on my toothbrush. <laughs> oh, this titanium spoon's a milligram lighter than that one. Oh, I'm going to take the lighter one. Right. Do I really need two wind checkers this trip or can I get by with one? Right. I'm always going through my gear. Do I need eight reads or can I get by with six reads? I think it's important to go through, especially your pack, your day pack. If you hunt out of the truck, mainly doing day hunts and that bag tends to get full of stuff from five years ago. I think it's important to empty it every year, go through it and say, what did I have? Do I have in here that I haven't used in three or four years? Do I need all this stuff and kind of pare it down to what you're going to actually use and what you need? That's great advice. Go through it and refine it and keep looking. And I've got to this point cause I probably used to pack 30 pounds of stuff. Oh yeah, we little, all did. Yeah. In my little book bag of, oh, I got to have this and I got to have that. I remember I used to pack, I had insulated bibs when they first came out, Cabela's or Walmart or whoever, but they were Walls brand insulated full zip bibs. And I would roll them up and buckle them on top of my fanny pack. They had to weigh four pounds, just them themselves. But that was the layer I had. I had basically cotton blue jeans on they were camel print but they were cotton so if it was going to get nasty i wanted those insulated bibs right and i don't carry that much bulk or weight anymore definitely going through your backpack analyzing what you used what you didn't need what you did need one thing we haven't discussed is i've spent a lot of time under headlamp and there's been one or two trips in my life where i've ran out of water and i couldn't one specifically, I remember I couldn't find my headlight. It was actually in the bottom of that huge bag. I just, it, it got dark and we were all loaded up and it was already loaded with meat. And I'm like, man, I must have left that in the truck. So I hiked out a couple miles, somebody else's headlight. And I'll tell you what, it's, there's very few things more miserable than at midnight when you want to drink a water and you're out. And then at 10, 11 o'clock when you're stumbling behind somebody with no headlight. See. And so you start having them walk behind you. Well, you still can't see because your feet are making such big shadows that, yeah. So I, what do you do for headlight? I can, I have a Peaks rechargeable and it is bright. They come out with them, what, two years ago is all. Probably the brightest, best headlamp I've ever put on. One charge lasts forever. I can run through. I've been quartered up a tire elk and packed it out on one charge. It can be recharged with my cell phone battery charger. And then I usually have a backup, like uh, backup light, small light. That's a backup that I have something else. So I switched to uh, out of Germany and they just came on the scene and they are rechargeable as well. They're double A rechargeables. And so I pack two headlights with both rechargeables and the other charging station and they last 30 hours on low, yeah. eight hours on high. That's the way my peak says. I get over 30 on low. I'd say and high like is super minimum. bright. Yeah. And that's... 
but I do like to pack two in case I lose one, right? And they weigh a couple ounces and the battery in there. Right. But I plan on, the second one is just in case I lose the first one, but the second one has the second battery if I do drain the first one. And I can recharge them with my cell phone charger too. But that is one thing that I could probably, if I was brave, take a little bit of weight out by only packing one headlight. But then again, I'm prone to dropping things in the woods. I've done it. There's gloves and hats and bugle tubes and rangefinders laying all over the woods. So if you guys find any of that stuff, go ahead and uh, reach out to me. I'll tell you if it's mine, you can mail it back. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all left something in one place or the other. The mountains seem to just eat gear. And when you've got some of these headlights, are not. They're, we're not talking $9 Energizer headlights. Right, We're yeah. not talking, well, there's a little bit of money in these in this equipment. And it's certainly... It pays to have good equipment. One thing we didn't touch on, and it's probably pretty important, is the rangefinder. Right. Whether you're rifle hunting or bow hunting, you do need to know how far away it is. I just switched to the uh, Bushnell Broadhead from a couple big name brands that everybody would know. I've I've had four brand name rangefinders. And I really wasn't in the mood for switching, except I left a Sig Sauer on Kodiak Island. So if you do find that one, I'd like that Kilo 2200 back because it was a great rangefinder. However, after doing a little bit of research, and by no means are we sponsored, affiliated, or in any way partnership with Bushnell, but that broadhead rangefinder for a bow hunter, the reticle switches from red to black automatically. It's got reflect technology in it, and it is the most accurate rangefinder, whether you're rangefinding a matte black bear or a glossy, shiny metal sign. They are they, they did a really good job of making sure that it was a, out to 100 yards. It was the most accurate and I just really had a Leica that was a red reticle, right? Great, except when you're in full sun on right. an antelope. Yeah. And the Leopold I had, 500 settings. You had to almost be a... <laughs> Computer technologist is to program it. Yeah, this has a, a brush mode, a rain mode, and a no mode. It's got one button. You push it, it gives you a yardage, right? And it's already got the angle compensation. And the reticle already changes from red or black, whichever your eye picks up better. Broad, or range finders are really important. Get one that works. And yeah. I run a Vortex. I've run Vortex for quite a few years, mainly because I'm hard on gear. My spotting scope has been to Vortex multiple times, rolled over by a horse, dropped it and broke the prism out of it, drove over it. It's in Vortex has fixed it every time. No question. My binos have been in twice. They've been repaired by <laughs> the Vortex rangefinder. It's a, I've had great luck with it. It ranges long distance really fast. It's uh, great for bow hunting, does good comp angle compensation. They are a little more expensive, but if you're like me and treat things much poorer than they should be treated, sometimes they do pull back their gear for sure. Their warranty has been fantastic. It tends to happen when you're packing precision optic glass over rocks on horses yeah. and in your hands and tripods in the wind. We're not setting these up in the kitchen table looking out the window, right? Yeah, I'm infamous for knocking my spotter over on the middle of on the cliff and the tripod and everything goes rocking down the hillside. One of the other things I want to touch on that I pack is I pack toilet paper and wet wipes. You can't get clean enough with toilet paper and a chap butt when you're doing <laughs> 20 miles a day. You start getting swamp butt and walking like a do with that. We've all seen somebody doing that wide step walk down the trail. No exactly problem. I pack one or two wet wipes a day. They've got some dude wipes out there. They've got big wipes, but to be able to clean up a little bit and stay clean 
especially when you're living in the same clothes for 10 days, yeah, two absolutely. weeks. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I always have some kind of wipes to clean up with at least once a day to just help keep things from getting chapped. Yep. Because if you're, it ruins a good hunt. Start getting shape anywhere and it ruins a good hunt. The other thing that I have in my little toiletry kit is chapstick. And I used to look at people weird. I'm like, you're sitting on a windblown ridge day in, day out, getting sun. You start getting cracked lips yep. and it's, it's pretty brutal. So yep. I usually carry chapstick with some kind of sunblock in it to help that helps. And then I like to wear a hat. I don't wear sunglasses in the field anymore. I just I lose them too much, but I have, depending on the hunt, I'll take a baseball hat and a full brim hat. So today we're elk hunting. I wear my full brim hat. I like that it shades my whole face all the way around. It just seems to give me a little more camo definition as the shooter. If I'm the collar, it doesn't matter. I like the, when I'm putting the hood up a lot, a little bit colder weather, I like just a ball cap. Yeah. The the full brim hat seems to be a little annoying because you're collapsing that full brim anyways. More hot, sunny weather. I'm wearing a full brim, especially if I'm spot and stock creeping right. in. If I'm more rifle or later weather hunts just depending i'll wear and that runs through the majority of my gear yeah i i always have some type of hoodie on and a ball cap pretty much and then i pack uh, a beanie's always in my pack i have a lightweight beanie always in my pack if i want to keep my ears a little bit warmer the only gear we did not really talk about was knives and if especially if you're an elk hunter and never shot an elk and you decide you're going to cape an elk, the hide down the back of an elk's neck is about four inches thick. It seems when you're trying to cut it, you either have to have a good knife with something to sharpen it. Cause you will not make it through one whole elk with one knife or a replaceable blade type knife. And I usually carry both. I carry a Havilon with multiple blades, but I also carry a heavy bladed knife and a separate gut hook. So I can end up with three knives in my pack for elk when I'm elk hunting just because you're going to dull them and trying to cut up an elk is especially if you're by yourself is tough enough but with a dull knife is miserable and just caping an elk out in the back country will dull a couple blades at least if you're using a half line you're going to go through four or five to get a cape off correctly and you you need something to be able to resharpen them with so I definitely have got the Montana Knife Company from Bow Spider, we've got a few of those. We've got some other really great sharp knives. We've got the Outdoor Edge knives as well, and we've got those Bow Spider label engraved because I like having a fixed full tang knife, right? Something that if I need to pry an artery, twist something, I need to stab something, I want a knife. And I actually wear that on my chest, right? And I really like having it right there on the pack suspender just... And I used to have a clip knife all the time. I, I really liked the Ken Oriya Kershaw. I really liked, he had a knife. I don't remember the, exactly which one. It was a straight blade. I lost three of them and they're $70 pocket knives, folders. And because they're clipped in my pocket, when I take my, right. ba- my pack on and off, the uh, waist belt grabs them and throws them on the ground. If anybody finds those out there, yeah, common theme. David, I look sometimes like a Christmas tree with ornaments everywhere because everything I have anymore gets tied, clipped, I'm or the same way. Everything's to tethered to me because I lose, I've lost it one time. I have range finders around, knives around, everything else. So everything's in my pack or tethered to me. And I pretty much... I've, I've got to the point now, if we sit down, I get stuff out, I use it, I put it back in the pack, and then I look at what's tethered to me, and I make sure all the stuff's tethered and clipped away before I walk off, because 
I remember one day we were sitting on a log having lunch. I bugled. I sat there. I put the bugle dome down. I was eating the sandwich, looked over at my brother. Oh, let's go down the hill here. No answer, nothing. We went 200 yards down the hill. I was like, oh, this is a good vantage point. We should rip a bugle here. I go to rip a bugle and no bugle tube. I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me go find the (laughs) log that we were sitting on. And yep, here's a camo bugle tube laying on this log in the middle of the woods. Yeah, for sure. I, I try to tether everything I can to me. And if you don't want it tethered, put it in your backpack. But I will say, and all having your equipment stowed in a position where you can get to it, utilize it, use it, and then put it away, it really is nice to... I lost a cell phone one day. The inner zip pockets on a lot of jackets, I had the jacket half zipped open. I thought I'd put it in the pocket. I just put it in between me and the... And I hiked. And I was hiking right up a ridge trail, like a game trail. And I noticed at the top, like 300 yards later... and. I went and looked and I never did find that phone. So that's a really bad day is when you lose your phone. That was a really bad day. I killed one of the bucks that's hanging on the wall the next day. So I'll trade the cell phone for the buck. But I don't know, we've gone through a lot of it and there's trying to get down to the nitty gritty. You really do want to hit sub 20 pounds for a day pack. Right. You should be able to have first aid, a little bit of shelter clothing, fire starter, a little bit of food, kill kit in that sub 20. Probably the most of my weight's water yeah. every day. My yeah. pack's probably in the 10 pound top range, framing everything, 10 to 12 pounds until I put water in it. Yep. And then my water, depending on where I'm going, how much I need to carry, what my plan is for the day, water consumes a lot of it. I didn't used to go very heavy on the water. And anymore, I just seem to go through a lot of it. Yeah, I would much rather pack the water and drink it down through the day than not have it. Yep. My multi-day, like on the sheep hunt, I think I went in with 67 pounds for 10 days. And 20-some pounds of that was food. Right. So now we're 41 pounds with shelter. It's hard to get sub 40 pound for multi-day if you've got a decent shelter, decent sleep system. You're down to... I'm not taking fingernail clippers, right? I take half a toothbrush. Right. I I was in right at 50 pounds for my mountain goat hunt with the plans to eat the food down while we hunted and shot the mountain goat on the second day. So we had to pack all the food back out anyway. Yeah. When If you get time to go watch our latest mountain goat film, when I'm coming off the hill, I think I only have two days of food and I'm 100 pounds. Yeah. I'm easy 100 pounds. And that's, I guess, one thing to talk about is hiking poles. When you, when I'm elk hunting, sometimes I utilize one. Depends on where we're going. If we're really going to cover some steep, rocky terrain, creek crossing, it's great. I have, and Peaks Design makes some really good hybrid carbon fiber aluminum trekking poles. Yeah. Black Diamond makes some. Lakey makes some. They're, get you a decent pair. Don't just go get the cheapest one you can. But Grandpa with his walking stick knew something, right? <laughs> Yeah, I carry trekking poles all the time. It's in my pack every day I hunt. I don't care whether I'm hunting antelope or I'm hunting deer. Not for use while I'm hunting, for use while I'm packing meat out. When I load throw 100 pounds on my back or more with elk, I want my trekking poles because I'm, one, I can cover rough terrain so much faster and safer. I ain't going to fall, trip, break an ankle, whatever happens to be. The trekking pole saves you a lot. What I've noticed is fatigue management, right? The buck that you mounted for me that day was 12 miles and 6,000 feet elevation. Now we took the llamas, right? So I had a rifle on, but still was a ton of country to cover in a day. 
And guys can do more, certainly, but to have got in, found a buck, killed him, processed him, loaded him, and got back out in, we left at 4 a.m. and was back at 10 p.m. in super rugged, steep country. The fatigue management, if you don't use trekking poles, you have to utilize all the stabilizing muscles in your legs, even in your core and your ankles and your feet, to keep you on balance as you go across rocks or scree or logs. And that log after log, rock after rock, really takes its toll towards the end of the day, you're getting a lot more fatigue in your main power muscles, which is your quads, versus if I've used my arms to stabilize the load that is the backpack, even if it's 20 pounds, now my legs can, and I can, I found I can go probably 20, 25% further by utilizing just one trekking pole unloaded. And same when I, when something gets harvested, if I'm going 400 yards or 40 miles, <laughs> I break my trekking poles out all the time. Mine yeah. are out whenever I'm running loaded. I, or if I'm just like on a dead march back to the truck and I've got three or four miles back to the truck and I'm going to, I'm going to go up two or three steep bridges. I'll take, put my bow on my back, my trekking poles in my hands and use, just because you use a lot of weight in your arms and you can take a lot of load off your legs. So a lot of times I have, I got these side pockets in my pants and they get loaded up pretty good during the day. And I have to, every once in a while, between goodies and gloves and calls and knives and headlights. But the headlight I like to keep on the left pocket and then the spare one in the backpack. And it's, I go, sometimes I go throughout the day where I take it out of the left pocket and put it back in the backpack. The, the kind of two things I want to have is a headlight and a knife. And so I try to keep those two things on me is if I was to accidentally lose the backpack and everything else, <laughs> I'll take the knife and then go back to the truck. It might take me a day, but I'll get there. So certainly you can watch on the doll sheep film on YouTube right after we harvest the sheep. I'm coming down the hill with my dad and you can see me stumble and go down to a knee. And that trekking pole in my hand was bent at like 20, 30 degree. I thought it was going to snap, right? Because I've got, oh, half a sheep on my backpack plus some of the kit the spotter and other gear and it was a I went down hard and I Kodiak we all fell down multiple almost a dozen times I think I fell on Kodiak but I always had my trekking poles right yeah so it wasn't too far of a fall without trekking poles it's a lot further fall yeah they're essential part of my gear pretty much all the time hunting I don't hunt without them ever I can remember hiking Three Sisters Wilderness in Oregon way back in the scouting days. And here comes these two people, fanny pack, water bottle, little dog, and they're trekking poles. And I look over there and I'm doing a 50 miler with the scouts with a 45 pound backpack with no weapon, with no optics, right? I had this heavy sleep bag as 10. I was, and I I got mad on that trip. There was a, a young boy who wasn't as in good a shape as the rest of us. And I had done a pretty good job of keeping my backpack light. I had a fishing pole in there and it cut my toothbrush in half, right? About halfway through the trip, they gave me his half of the food to carry. <laughs> and we all had, what we did is we all, everybody brought their, I think it was a five-day trip, and we all, at the trailhead, everybody put their food in day one, right? Kid A carried day one's food. Kid B carried day. When it was your day, all of a sudden, you just lost eight pounds out of your backpack, and it was, like, amazing. It was a cool idea. Midway through the trip, I divvied my food out to everybody, and I was foodless, which was made me happy, right? They gave me his food because he was the last day. And I was like, and granted, I was 
200 yards in front of the group the whole day and he was 200 yards behind the group the whole day. So they were trying to even that out a little bit, but certainly for sure, trek and poles. When I saw those people on that trip with their little trek poles, I'm like, I'm doing this whole 50 miles without poles, right? I was sub 18, right? Right. Yeah. Now I don't go, (laughs) I don't go on an antelope trip. Like you said, I don't go 200 yards from the truck without at least one trekking pole in the backpack and one in the back of the truck. Yeah, for the few ounces of trekking poles are what, eight ounces for a set. Yeah. No, they're not heavy. They're on my pack all the time. When I pack meat, they're just at their weight, 100 times their weight, just in how efficient, more efficient you can pack weight, especially when you get big loads. So 40 pounds of antelope meat's one thing, but when you throw... A lot of times we'll go shoot cow elk and take them out in one trip, two guys in one trip. So you're going, you're over a hundred pounds of meat on your back. By the time you got quarters and legs and what's in your day pack and everything else, you're running a hundred plus pounds through some rough terrain and the, the trekking poles. Are- yeah. This last winter we killed one. I took Patrick up with horses. We killed one, spotted another herd, brought him home. And then I went up the next morning and went with another guy and we, we went and it got fresh snow. We killed a cow and. We each put a quarter and a backstrap in a backpack and we left the hair on and we drug a quarter behind us and we took that whole cow out one trip. And could I have put in a backpack? Maybe. But that gets me the last one is loading the backpack. What are some things you've found to do to load that backpack to make it a little more efficient? Don't listen to everybody who says put all the weight to the bottom. I, I want it up around my lumbar area, not lower. So I want to carry that weight, my mid back to lower back, not way down low. Cause I, people like swing it low and everybody says, hang it low. And that's not the answer. Make sure it's tight to your frame and use your load straps on your shoulder pads to pull that frame in tight to your back. And I guess while you're putting it on, loosen everything up. So when you stand up, you can start adjusting your load straps to where you get that pack fitting correctly. Because you can take the best pack in the world, and if you don't have the load straps set right, it'll be a miserable trip. But when you get that whole thing tight in the pack and then that tight to your body, it's not bad. You're not going to lose your balance near as easy. It's not going to try and carry you over. And so it's a matter of loading everything as center as you can and tight to your body. I will say I've got that Dana Designs Astroplane backpack, and it's a 1996 backpack, and it weighs nine pounds empty. My Kafaru weighs four empty right Right. it's it's twice the weight but my dad had a exo bag and it's a great bag he's got the 3600 on the doll sheep hunt he's got his sheep on it we got to a shale shoot that was it was steep it was steep and he fell once and he's i'm done and it was fall and roll to your death kind of steep so i said all right drop your bag 300 yards down below us it flattens out you just go down there i'm gonna go down with my bag i'll drop my bag i'll go back up and get your bag right and I decided that mine was heavier, so I'd do mine as the last load. So I left my bag there and grabbed his bag at half the weight. He was probably 65, 70. I was 115, 120. His bag was more difficult physically to pack. Because of the way he had it packed, he had so much loose stuff on the back of the bag. It was just too small a bag for that big right. trip, right? He had his sleeping bag on the back. He had the horns on the back. He had his sleep pad on the back. He had a food sack on the side. And the whole bag was just not tight to the frame. It's not the bag's fault. It's not the frame's fault. It was just he had enough slop between the bag itself and the frame that it was moving about an inch to the left and right every step. It just felt like somebody back there jerking you right. left, right, left, right. I took his down there. Man, no wonder you're dying. This is. I tried to tighten it up a little for him, but it was just... That's what we talked about earlier today. It was stuffed to capacity. It was 110% capacity. 
versus my big black astro plane was at about 90% capacity and everything was just right and tight. And if you look at your back, you're not a straight plane. You're more of a curved line. A backpack needs to curve. So if you have a lid, and I like to break the backpack into thirds, right? The bottom third, the middle third, the top third. I like to put about half the weight in the middle third. Right. So you got about 25% of the weight in the bottom third and 25% of the weight in the top third. That's how I like to run even in, in day hunt mode, right? I'll have a lid on the backpack and I'll put some of my stuff up top. Usually my water bladder's in the top. All my other junk falls to the bottom and the middle's just empty usually. Just the way it is, I'll, I'll stuff my clothes in there. But if I get something, my clothes come out and the meat goes right there in the middle, right? So we go from 20 pound to 80 pound real quick. Right. But that 60 pounds goes right in the middle and the top and bottom don't really change. My kill kit and some of my extra stuff's in the bottom and then my water bladder, my knife, my headlights in the top. So that's what I would say as I've found is it was night and day on that doll sheep trip to grab my dad's backpack, which was half the weight, half the size. And not tightly packed. But not tightly packed compared to my big black backpack, which is, it's a big bag. And if you go watch the film, you can see when I sit down. That backpack is bigger than me. And it's got, we life-size mounted that sheep, so it's got the full hide. I've got a third of the meat plus my whole camp. And that's a, it was a heavy load for sure. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I think we've gone through the majority of, of the kit that we utilize and use and why. And it's been refined over three decades, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm always going through it like everything else and now I'll go through it at the end of the year and throw stuff out that I'm not going to take, make notes even, what I need to add, especially my base gear, the stuff I bring on every hunt. It's constantly evolving, especially they come out with better products, lighter products, things like that, take up less space. So it, the, the titanium spoon is one. I used to just pack a plastic spoon. Right. Right. And there for a long time, I guess we didn't cover one thing. Sorry, guys, we'll, we'll add it there. Stoves, right? There's a ton of choices. I had a jet boil for a while till on a sheep hunt that I tried to melt some snow because, well, we had frozen lines in our bladders and we needed it. And I burned the fins off the bottom. <laughs> it purposely says, do not melt snow and ice. When you have to, right? Yeah. Completely ruin the uh, efficiency of that stove. So I now have a Optimus Prime Crux. I love that stove. Yeah, I still run a jet boil. My jet boil is probably close to 15 years old. Works great still. still I bought another today. one. I still have it. I just like the pot and the way the, the stove and mine packs a little bit more, a little tiny bit. But it's similar. There's MSR reacts. There's a ton of stoves out there. Oh, there's sure. lots of good ones. I'm not saying Jet Boil is the oh, best. Yeah. At the time I no. bought it, it was pretty much what was it in that category. I used a Jet Boil for seven years and it functioned just yeah. fine. There's they, absolutely they, not the crux. Yeah. Just yeah. put it in there. Or keep you a tin cup and yep. just set it on your Jet Boil rather than your the Jet Boil pot. And the thing I like about mine is it's more uh, pot and lid, but the lid is a cup. And I like to have me a hot chocolate after uh, my uh, peak refuel at night. I need a cup anyways. The fact that it's part of my stove is great. But the, that's probably a spoon and a cup and a lighter and my jet boil and some mountain house and some water yep. filtration. The rest of the kit that's in the backpack, it's all important gear, guys. But Mike just said it's going to get refined and get upgraded and traded next year. Yeah, and I guarantee you there will be something different in my pack next year than this year. 
as they come out with better products and lighter products and more efficient, it, it's always constantly changing. So the two things I've heard, and, and I would stress this to everybody, if you're getting ready to go on your first sheep hunt, don't run out and buy all brand new everything, no. right? Just you're talking to, to get this backpack set up the way we've got it. I mean, depending on what your tent is, your $100 in a tent is every piece of gear is $100. It just yeah. is. I actually switched to synthetic uh, game bags this year. The born and raised game bags, they make that fully zip open and they are expensive, but they're half the weight. They're 10 times more efficient to put meat in. They're really nice, but then they're a lot of money. But having just quartered a bull up and put them in them the other day, they're 10 times easier to load meat in. Your meat's cleaner. There's some real benefits to them. And that's just things that change. I used white cotton, cotton game yeah, bags yeah. for years and now they're coming out in synthetic and they're just lighter weight, more efficient, take up half the room. It's better quality, but you're going to pay four times the cost for I've to have them. I've been using Argali for a couple of years now. Yeah. They don't have the zippers. They do have, uh, one thing I really like is they actually have some reflective yeah. material on them. Yep. So do these, they have a little reflective, and reflective that's material. When, when you're in the middle of the night hiking back <laughs> up, you're like, oh, there's my. Yeah. It shows up at night when you're looking for your bags. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. definitely the thing I like about the synthetic Argali born and raised, there's there's a couple other caribou. There's there's a bunch right. of companies that come out with those, but the synthetic acts like a second skin. It gets wet and touches. Right. Sticks to it. Sticks to it. And it actually helps it cool faster. Yep. It cools faster. It wicks the moisture away. The bags dry from blood in minutes, just minutes. You're not getting near the blood. If you hang it in a few minutes, you're not going to have the blood on your pack that you would with an old fashioned cotton one. I've had, they're, the they're a lot more efficient. They're just like everything else. Technology gets better. Oh, yeah. I've had the QU ones. There was a company out of Oregon that was making true parachute ones out of green parachute material. They weren't as good on the ripstop, but I went through quite a few of those. But I've been using those for all oh, six, seven years. And that's what's great is four of them compressed down to almost nothing. Yeah, the space is so much less and the weight is half of the cotton. Can you imagine the guys that were hunting in Eastman's day going... Canvas bags? Oh, Everything was wood, canvas, yeah. wool. And those guys, they had to have been walking around with 75, 80 pound backpacks with just their kid in it. In right, their camp. to not even do anything, no meat in it or anything. That's just the starting weight, yeah. And no, their water filtration was a pot, right? Yep. And it was, they were definitely a little tougher for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we got a lot of luxuries in the world right now with, a, with what we're, we're, the world of hunting has come into in the last 10 years, 15 years. So what I would say, and I learned this from a couple of guys with optics, is A, buy once, cry once, right? Buy the best you can afford. I've upgraded from Nikon to Vortex to Leopold. I'm now running GPOs, but someday maybe I'll go to Swarovski. But if you look at it financially, it would have been cheaper to just buy the Swarovski <laughs> than buy six other brands and, and keep increasing $150 base price each time. Right. right? I did that going just going to Vortex in the fact that I used to buy the cheap all the time optics and break them every year and bought one set of Vortex and Vortex will fix your stuff. Mm -hmm. And, but most of the other companies back Leopold backs them now really well. Ray Mavens, they're all back and they will repair their gear. And so you buy one decent pair and don't lose them. They aren't going to give you a new pair if you lose them, but if you drive over it, they'll, they'll fix them. Yep. And we're not intentionally trying to do this to them, but things happen. So definitely optics 
there's a lot of great brands out there from Swarrow, Leica, GPO, Maven, Vortex, Leopold. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you got to get this one because that one won't work. Right. But definitely step step up into the little bit I can't afford. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure I want to spend this because you will, the, the quality difference over kind of the entry level stuff. And when I first looked, I got a $350 pair of Nikon Monarch binos and I I thought they were the cat's meow and I'd use them forever. And they, for the money, they're a decent pair of glass. But definitely step up into Vortex right off the gate. You'll yeah, the Vortex, happier. even the lower line Vortex is, for the money, you can't beat it because they're going to fix them if you break them. Yep. Um, even if you scratch the lenses up, they'll fix them no matter what. So what I would say and what I do is I typically try and buy one piece of quality gear a year and utilize what I have until next year. And then I have a whole year to really analyze, research, talk to people about, hey, do you like that bag? Let me see the features. Let me hold it, right? And then I can upgrade to that next piece of kit, right? I saw spots when they first come out and I already had the personal locator beacon that we talked about. I waited and I just used mine. And yeah, I heard people that were, they were texting instead of just preset messages, they could text, hey, right. meet me here with horses now. That's pretty cool and now that they've got the new garmin in reach the the two the mini man it's weighs nothing it's half the size right. of my phone it's tiny and i keep it's got a carabiner it's clipped to me when i was on alaska we were doing 20 miles open ocean in a skiff i had my life jacket and my in reach on i didn't really care the rest of the kit <laughs> i put stuff in dry bags so hopefully it'd float if we capsized a boat i was going to try and get my sleeping bag in my tent out of the dry bag that was hopefully going to float with me and hit the sos on my in reach there's things like that you do got to plan contingency but like i said at the beginning of this if you're getting started in backpack hunting that's your goal don't run out and buy all the brand new latest and greatest see what you can find secondhand right there's definitely yeah, for sure there's good stuff out there secondhand there's a lot of the midline stuff that's really good gear that we've all used for years and then i upgraded over the years one piece here one piece there and you and I are both running Sitka. I like my Sitka stuff. I've had QU. I've looked at the price of the Killix brand out of Sportsman's Warehouse. It's not quite the quality, not quite the features. But if you were just getting into it, price point wise, that's a lot better entry level price point than running right out and dropping a couple grand in Sitka, a couple grand in yeah, Kifaru, if you're paying, a couple grand in you're paying retail price for Sitka. And trying to completely outfit at one time, it's, that's an expensive endeavor. And same thing, bows, arrows, sights, rests, rifles, scopes. You don't got to run out and get the Christensen arms and stick the night force no. right on top of it, right? I'm. You just don't have to go out and buy the brand new bow and outfit it with great gear. Last year's model, go into your bow shop and say, hey, do you have last year's model? And see what you can get on discount because you're talking thousands of dollars to, to go out and buy all this stuff brand new retail tomorrow you and i have both kind of accumulated it a little bit johnny cash style one piece at a time piece here piece there and i really like your jet boil it's going to serve you another five or seven years right right and i have no per no point of changing it at this point it still works good it lights every time your spot and scope your carbon tripod your trekking yep. poles the backpack's going to change the boots are going to change the binos might change yeah. right the knife will certainly change. Hopefully we'll get you into an outdoor edge or, <laughs> or even a better one. But that 
all this stuff is you definitely need to measure it like like you're saying is go through and quantify why do I have this go use it and compare it to what else is out there because I'll tell you those those trekking poles of mine the half carbon half aluminum because the bottom half of the poles are always down in the rocks right and carbon's going to nick and break aluminum is yep. just going to yeah the sissy deflect. sticks make a fantastic set of trekking poles they but are, you're going to pay double what you will for another decent pair hundred percent all aluminums and what I will say is my all aluminum cheap lakeys, and they're not cheap, they're a hundred bucks and the sissy sticks are almost two, but the grip, the cork grips or the foam grips, I mean, when you're using them all day versus a hard plastic grip, you pay for comfort, right? Yeah. And I'll pay for it. I'll yeah, do it again. The cork again. grips are a must for mine just because they're a lot more comfortable, a lot less blisters. Yep. No, I noticed the other day I actually, I may or may not have broke a trekking pole and so the, the grip's all broke on it. So I was using one brand in hand A, one another hand in brand B, and I'll tell you, the foam nice grip in the hand, left hand was not giving me a blister. The harder plastic grip was giving me a blister. Yeah. I'm like, that's the difference. All right. I am prone to losing stuff. I think I have three different sets. One's broken, one's missing, and one's bent. You're going to go through some gear. You're going to lose a six-hour rangefinder out there. Don't fret when you do, but try and, like Mike and I do, strap tie secure everything in its spot yeah my range binders are always on some type of bungee cord tethered to my pack or to my bino harness um and i do the same thing with my calls are hooked to me because the last thing i want to do is elk hunting and look back and not have my calls with me anymore so they're tethered to my bino harness as well i do pack a uh, spare release aid I, i have one in my pack bow in my backpack always and i didn't used to I actually, on an antelope hunt, lost the top half, the head, the release yeah. half. So I had a really expensive wristband when I looked down at an antelope that was 52 yards away. And I'm like, not doing anything about it now. And yeah, I was miles. I broke one and, and had to drive all the way home to get another one. Yeah. Where now I just carry, I exchange them every couple of years because I shoot a lot. And the sears do get slightly worn. So I just exchange one of my old ones to buy a new one and so i'm sh- always shooting a fresh sear on my release then uh, one of my old ones goes in the pack for backup but yeah i'm today i was packing a spare release around just because you never know and that's one of those pieces i'm not going to pack a spare bow around i'm not going to no. pack a spare sight around i'm not packing a bow press and a spare string around if if that stuff goes we're going back to town but if i happen to have a release fail or lose it because i took it off yeah. or whatever lose the top half, whatever happens, it's a couple extra ounces. Or I've literally taken mine off, put it in the truck, took off hunting, get a mile from the truck and realize I don't have my release on. My truck with my release on. Yeah, then I have one in my pack. I can just add it to put it back on and continue hunting for the day. So that gets me to the release aids itself. And I'm not, there's thousands of brands out there, but I seen a lot of guys go to a back extension thumb style release, and there is a AOT comp- company out there, Advanced Archery Technology. I think they have a little holder like Bow Spider for these thumb style releases yes. that mounts the bow, has a quick lock on it, and I see the utility of that, but I absolutely cannot stand pulling a bow with one of those, shooting a bow. I use a caliper style release, a finger caliper release. Yeah, I use, still use a wrist strap release. I use the spot hog um, release. It's pretty indestructible. Um, yep. Had good luck with them. I've shot true fires and everything else, but 
I've tried hinge releases and thumb releases and everything else. And I haven't noticed a significant enough difference to get rid of the convenience of it being hooked to my hand all the time. Yeah. And I, if I was a hundred percent target archery, I probably could see the, and long, long distance. Great. But for 20 yards on an elk, I need this thing hooked to my hand and I need to be able to go from calling, eating a sandwich, tying my shoe, driving the quad, driving the truck, hiking with my trekking pole to boom, it's time to shoot. Right. I want to clip that up. And so I've been running the true fire for a while. Carter actually has one that a wrist style that I'm going to check out this next year, but there isn't one that's better than the other. Get one that fits and works. For yeah. You. I've been through them all in 30 some years and it doesn't really matter. Whatever's working for me at the time. But it's got to be secured to your it's wrist. It's got to be secured to my wrist. I don't want to have to reach for a pocket, set it on my bow, whatever it happens to be. I want it hooked to my wrist. Yeah. And that's just convenience, purely convenience for me, because I've had too many times where I've had to make a quick shot. And if it wouldn't have been on my wrist, it would have been no way. And so I've gone from a dual caliper to a single jaw hook style right. so that I don't even have to look down. I can same knock here. an arrow. I, I've run nothing but hook style and yep. same reason. And they're definitely not as accurate as a caliper. The, the dual caliper is way more accurate. You don't have any, any type of the hook ones. You get a little bit of string movement, but I can still shoot out. I can shoot a balloon at a hundred yards every shot. I don't need to be better than that type of game. No, I, on an elk, I want to be able to not even have to look down, clip up on that yep, string, absolutely. paying attention to the elk, waiting for the right time to draw. And whether it's 12 yards or 28 or 48, I, I don't care. Yeah. Give me a yardage. I, I don't want to. It needs some of this stuff needs to be just rot memorization secondhand. You just need to you need to go into robot mode where you don't have to think about where does the bugle tube go when the elk's. Right. When he's coming in, now I've got my little lanyard thing and I spin it around and it's behind me and it's by my backpack and it's not clunking, not making noise. I'm not worried about it. And if I have to take 10 steps, I don't have to look back and go, oh, where did I set my bugle to? I even run four fletching, four or six fletchings. Right now I'm running six fletchings on my arrows, but they're undirectional. I can knock them any position. I don't have to pay attention. Knock them up, shoot them. I don't have to worry about particular whether up or down or anything else. They shoot any direction. For that same reason, I don't want to have to pay attention to how I knock my arrow because I get way too excited. When I get a bull coming in, I'm lucky to get the arrow on the string and the arrow off in the air. That's about the best I can do. And that's the reason that we go do this, <laughs> right? I mean, if it, if a bull's screaming coming in and your heart doesn't get up in your throat and you start getting a little bit excited, you need to go pick a different sport because I, I don't think you have a heartbeat, man. Yeah. Yeah. When I shot my bull the other day, I could not even get my binos on it to see where the arrow went in after it ran off. It was shaking so bad, but fortunately it fell over in a little while and didn't have to worry about it. That's the way we like to hear it. Guys, sorry for the little bit longer podcast, but I wanted to know what was in Mike's bag and kind of compare it to what's in mine and see if we're both on the right track. And after this many years and this many hunts, I think I think we've both come up with a system that, you know, works for us. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for answering my questions and congratulations on the bowl. Now, now go get a buck. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. 
Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.